welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series Ecclesiastes, Life Under the Sun. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, starting in verse 11. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those without knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but no, no one sinner destroys much good, or rather, but one sinner destroys much good. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. Blessed Lord, you have called all of your word to be written for our learning, so we pray that we may in such a way hear it and read it and mark it and learn it and inwardly digest it, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. If you are going through our annual reading plan, in which we read the entire Bible in a year and then some, uh, you will have just recently finished the book of Job. Congratulations! (laughs) Because sometimes, if you consistently read your Bible through and you come to Job, well, sometimes it can feel like a feat of endurance. And our English translators don't help us any. Uh, because the Hebrew poetry of Job is often translated, in order for us to understand it, it's translated with a lot of words. And so Job tends to feel, well, wordy. And after the beginning of the story, if you think about the, the, the account of Job, from the supernatural realm to the devastating tragedy that is Job's life, well, after that, it's really easy to get lost in the dialogue of Job's friends, isn't it? On and on, back and forth. Uh, One is struck by the lack of mercy of his friends, but also Job's candor. 
But what Job and his friends are both guilty of is what I call karma Christianity. Karma Christianity. But theologians have a better name for it. They call it retribution principle. And the idea of this karma Christianity or retribution principle is this. It's the idea that God blesses those who are righteous and punishes those who are wicked in this life. If a person is blessed, that is proof that he's righteous. And if a person suffers hardship, that is proof of sin in his life. Now, it's not as distant as the book of Job is I mean, in in just recent years, we know that something that was referred to as the prosperity gospel became very popular, but it wasn't anything new. The prosperity gospel was simply the same thing as the bad theology that we see in the friends, and Job uh, stoops to it as well. What charismatics were selling us on television is the same thing that Job and his friends were believing. That is... In the book of Job, until God intervenes. And He intervenes with a direct question. You may recall. I mean, it is the turning point in the book of Job. God asks this. Who is... I can't do the voice of God, right? I mean, I I need that, uh, you know, uh, uh, that boom. I need Brandon's voice to do this. Who is this that... Who is this that darkens counsel by the words without knowledge? And and when I read that, I think, so that's not a question you want to hear from heaven, right? But then it's followed up immediately with this statement. Dress for action like a man. I will question you. You make it known to me. That's not a command you want to hear audibly from heaven. Job, as well as friends, I would imagine, are speechless as they should be, as we should be, any time when we're confronted with the special revelation of God. But God takes Job all the way back, and I'm not going to read you the rest of Job in this passage, you do it yourself, right? But God takes Job all the way back to creation, to the beginning, and He walks him through with a list of a myriad of rhetorical questions walking him through all that God has done. And at the conclusion of those questions, Job rightly has no answer. But he can say this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And in that moment, Job retracts his former demands, he repents of his presumption, and he falls upon the mercy of God. But what Job learned from the mouth of God, Solomon, in our passage today, confirms by experience. He says this, The race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all, for man does not know his time. My nephew says, life is uncertain, eat dessert first. That's that's really good advice, right? And I, I don't know if Solomon would have agreed with the dessert part, 
But I know he would have agreed with the uncertainty part. Solomon leads us to consider in our passage today a few timeless examples. Typically, the fastest runner wins a race, right? But not always. Typically, the strongest army wins the battle, right? But not always. Typically, wisdom is rewarded with plenty. And the smart people are rewarded with riches. But not always. But there are two things that are certain. And they're certain for the fast and the slow. They're certain for the strong and the weak. They're certain for the wise and the fool and the smarty pants and the dummy and all the rest of us in between. They're certain for this. And that is time and chance. Time and chance. Now, some uh, argue that there is no such thing as chance, believing that it infringes upon the truth of God's sovereignty, despite Solomon using the word and despite Jesus using the word. And, and typically what they will argue, you've probably heard this before, there's no such thing as chance, John. God is sovereign. And I typically I'll respond, God is sovereign. Yep, I, got, I mean, I got that. Like, you know, that's like there is a God. Right? I got it. But the way that Jesus uses the word chance and the way that Solomon uses the word chance, me no thank you talk about same thing. For example, in his parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus says that the priest was going down the road by chance. Was Jesus negating the sovereign ordination of God? No, that's ridiculous. Think about it this way. What Jesus is doing in the Good Samaritan parable is he is simply telling a story. What's the sto- where's the story based? In the context of this life. And it's a life that from our perspective, because we're not God, are we? No, nope. I'll answer that one for you. No, nope. no, nope, we're here. And so from our perspective, it seems like life is just full of uncertainties. And so... Jesus uses the word chance as a figure of speech because it is from a human perspective. Or if you're one of those people that plays games, board games. I'm not one of those. I don't like games, but I hear people like them. I've been told we have a game night here. (laughs) I don't like board games, but if you play board games and you roll the dice, what would you say? You'd say, well, the determination of that rolling of the dice is up to chance. From our perspective, we don't know, and we can't know, and that's what chance is. But God knows, and in fact, the Proverbs is crystal clear on this, is that God decides the outcome of the rolling of the dice. And so using the word chance does not deny God's sovereignty, but it's helpful, it's really helpful when we're trying to describe something called what we see as the uncertainty of life. That's it. Curiously, in describing life's uncertainties, 
What Solomon does is he couples that which characterizes uncertainty, that's chance, and then he couples it with that which seems certain, that is time. And he brings them together to tell us about time and chance. Now think about time with me. Time, the measurement of time, is all the way back to the beginning. We can go to Genesis if we had time, and we can see that as creation did not occur randomly, but occurred in order day by day, in order of days. And within each day of creation, our Creator, He created specific parts and specific things in creation. And all of that concluded on the sixth day. And on the seventh day, God rested from His creative work and so concluded the first week of creation. And it was a specified sequence of times. Day one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. And so, days and weeks and months and years have passed ever since. Ever since the beginning, we might say, of time. But within God's creation, in His creation of time, we can't forget the cataclysmic event of the fall. The fall of man into sin. And it was this fall that distorted our time. Think about it this way. If life begins at conception, as we believe that it does, life does not continue without end. Life's not ever ending. At least in in this life under the sun, and that's what we're talking about, right? In this life under the sun, Life here ends, and we call that death. For such are the wages of our sin. That's what Paul's teaching us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And so within the consistency of time, then, we witness the effects of time, don't we? I'm, I'm looking at the effects of time, right? And you're like, hey, dude, it's a mirror. Looking right back at you. We see the effects of time. Let me give a a, a sweeter example. So I have two granddaughters. I'm going to continue to talk about them. You're going to get tired of it, and I'm going to keep going. And I got a grandson on the way. So we got a third on, on the way. And one of the most beautiful things I have found about being a grandparent is seeing the changes. It is so cool. The first look. The first word, the first step, the first birthday, the first word, of course, was Papa. I mean, this is this is great to see these things, and I love it. And one of the saddest things of being a grandparent I have found is seeing the changes, the rapid changes that I so easily forget. This morning. My daughter-in-law sends a picture of both of the granddaughters one year ago. They don't even look like the two of them. I don't even know who these kids are in the picture. And I start choking up. I'm like, I'm supposed to wait until my sermon to cry. (laughs) If only I could stop time, so the saying goes, right? But we know it's a fool's errand. You can't. You can't stop the marching of time. And one day, those two little girls and that little boy, Lord willing, they'll be my age, right? And they'll be experiencing the same thing. 
And who knows, by then I may be forgotten. But the passage of time for the living, that'd be us, is certain. It is a certainty. How long we will live is not. And you say, well, I, you know, I, the Lord determines our time. You know, again, that's kind of like saying, there is a God. Well, yeah, yeah, He does, but you're not God. I'm not God. So I exercise, and I eat healthy, and I go to church, which has been proven to extend your life. So keep coming. And I try to live a healthy life. And I may get hit by a bus walking to my car tomorrow. I don't know when my life will live. And, and Solomon, in poetic fashion, he, he uses the imagery uh, of a fisherman and a hunter. Uh, it's, it's like a, a fish caught or a bird shot. The end of our time, also known as death, it comes unexpectedly. From our perspective, it's chance. And perhaps like a, a teetering wall. Think about this. Like a, like a teetering wall. We see the signs of age, don't we? Uh, I refer to him as the growing frailty of our infrastructure. That was for you, James. The growing frailty of our infrastructure. And we see that wall. And that wall begins to wobble. And, and you know it's coming down, don't you? But you don't know when. And Paul said, I mean, Solomon says, and then it suddenly falls. Boom, down goes the wall. You saw it coming, but you didn't know when it is. And Solomon refers to this, characteristically, I might add, as evil. What he's not doing, he's not implying that we have done evil in dying, but rather that life is the wage of sin, which is evil. Adam and Eve were not created to die. But die, they eventually did as the consequence of their sin. Death is truly tragic. Death is a mortal reminder of what was lost in the fall. We don't need to put some sort of shiny polish on it. Well, we need to come to terms with death. Oh, Christians, we're a party when one dies. Are you kidding me? Sin robs my loved ones from me. And it breaks my heart. And I weep. And that's okay. It's okay for us to mourn. But Paul says, we do not mourn as those who have no hope. You see, the world wants to tell us that death is an either-or problem, right? And even some churches say it's either-or problem. You either mourn and you cry, or you get together and you just party. The Bible teaches this. It's a both-and. Because I mourn. Now, we've done a few funerals here at this church, haven't we? And you know what? I'm, I'm barely making it through the funeral, and I'm the preacher. And I get choked up. And I mourn the loss of a loved one. But one of the beautiful things about doing a funeral, and funerals are a beautiful thing, one of the benefits of doing the funeral is I also know that that beloved one is with the Lord. And so we mourn because of the curse of our sin has taken a loved one, but we do not mourn as if death defines us. It's not the winner. 
ultimately. Here's the way that Paul explained it to the Thessalonians. He said, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, in Christ, we know that we will be reunited with the Lord and those who have gone before us in Christ. So that's a beautiful thing. Time and chance, from our perspective here, happen to all of us. And so believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you do not know the next minute of your existence. Those watching by television, not television, what do we call it these days? Internet age, John. Those watching via live stream. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because from our perspective, we don't know our time. Chance happens to all of us. And so I want you to consider this question. When you think of Jesus, what words come to mind? When you think of Jesus, what words come to mind? Don't say them out loud. You're thinking through them. Somebody's got one, two, three words. You know, Jerry's got ten organized by bullet points, right? You got your words together. Now, how many of you thought of the word Wisdom. Wisdom. Because I found in my own study, this is one of the words that describes Jesus that I often overlook. And yet, and yet, Paul says that Jesus, by virtue of his righteous life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection, through faith in him, became to us the wisdom of God. That, that's, a, that's a key point, right? And so to trust in Christ is then to trust in the wisdom of God. But the world doesn't see Christ this way. The world would never come up with the word wisdom, at least from the perspective of the wisdom of God, because the world does not regard the wisdom of God. And to prove this point, Solomon gives the example in a story. Look with me in verse 14. He says, There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the poor man. Now now think about that story or parable. It was an uneven battle. The king was great, and he should have won, and the city should have fallen. That's the the point of the story, right? And the city only had one wise man within it. And wisdom won. Wisdom won with one wise man. And so you think about it, you think, well, if I'm writing the story, because I like happy endings... If I'm writing the story, he would be heralded as a hero. His wisdom would be rewarded with wealth. But no, instead, he was completely forgotten. As are most whose only wealth is wisdom. And it's a sad story. But sadder still is that we see its truth all the time. Had the man been rich, surely his wisdom would have been regarded as crowds line up to garner advice. 
from the wealthy. Check the latest bids of those who will bid up just to have a meeting or lunch with Warren Buffett. It's nuts. Had the man been a great king, surely he would have been heralded for his wisdom because people revere the words of the powerful, even if they're not worth hearing. But a poor, wise man of no regard? No, why bother? Why remember him? Well, the world doesn't. The world doesn't remember him. And so take note, Christian, for such is the story of our Lord. Take note, because this is also the story of our Lord. Though poor, He conquered the great King of this world, saving us according to the wisdom of God. When He came through the King, though He was the King, He did not sit upon a throne. When He came, though rich, He lived humbly. Indeed, Paul writes, though He was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ chose to become one of us, and so to live with us, and so to die for us, and so to rise before us, that we might be united with Him and reconciled to God. But the gospel truth of Christ crucified and resurrected is utter foolishness to the world. Paul explains it this way, For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so the the world may not remember the poor wise man who won the victory. But here's what you and I know. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so, and so we should not expect the wisdom of God to come packaged for worldly consumption. We often do, right? Why doesn't everybody get this? Solomon says, The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Perhaps in such quiet wisdom is wisdom best heard, rather than the blustering noisiness of our age. Peter says that it is the gentle and quiet spirit that is precious to God. 
Think about that. It is the gentle and quiet spirit that God finds precious. Typically, the person who is constantly trying to be recognized shouldn't be. The one who must tell you how wise he is probably isn't. So if you're looking for wise counsel, don't listen to the blundering self-promoter. Find the meek. Find the humble servant and learn his gentle and quiet spirit. Because brothers and sisters in Christ, the wisdom of God doesn't need self-promotion. In George Eliot's masterpiece, Middlemarch, she describes the impact of her heroine. You remember her heroine? Dorothea is her name. She's this antithetical model in this fallen world. But George Eliot describes her character in this way. Listen closely. She says, The effect of her being on those around her was incalculably diffusive. For the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts. And that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs. Now, I I recall that from Middlemarch, and I think that in an age of self-promotion where social media serves as often a platform for our flesh, Can we even imagine living faithfully a hidden life? Yet in the wisdom of God, we can. Making much of Christ and less of us. He must increase, but I must decrease, said John the Baptist. And so may we, as we grow in the humility of wisdom looking not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others, and having this mind among ourselves, which is also ours in Christ Jesus. Time and chance happen to us all. But in this short and in this uncertain life, we may certainly and humbly confess, I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word as we are confronted with the reality of this fallen world and how uncertain life can be. We don't even know what tomorrow brings. And yet, Christ is wisdom. He is the solid rock upon which our life stands. As we look to Him in faith, as we praise Him with our hearts and voices, as we rejoice in what He has done for us, for our good, and for your glory. 
May we live our lives in light of this gospel truth. But we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fort Smith, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org. Thank you.